You have to actively, as a storyteller, work really hard to break out of the confines of your culture and your world. You know, and one of the things that it's because it's just natural that you just look around you and say, okay, well, what are the stories that I have? These immediate ones, right? Um, and so I always, I always try to gear people towards saying, okay, so can you take away all the specifics of your story? And then what you're left with is just an emotional journey. Welcome back to Nothing Shines Like Dirt, episode 58. I'm Leslie Shannon. And I'm Elise Sievert. Today we sit down with actor-writer Alexa Alamani. We discuss with her writing as an actor, the collaborative and actors co-op, and the written rules of the land, working working with with your your spouse. spouse. It doesn't mean anything (laughs) when you actually say it. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. Where did you grow up again? Uh, well, Colorado, but half and half in Italy. So that's right. It's like a weird. Oh, that's weird right. Mix. I remember reading that. Yeah. So, so what? Like the big differences between Colorado and Italy. Like I feel like they're very different. They're huge. Yeah. No, it was a. It was funny. I I wrote this like weird thing on Facebook after Anthony Bourdain died. Like this very long thing just about growing up bicultural and how I'd always wanted to take. Mm-hmm. Well, so there you yeah. go. Yeah. And uh, my cousin in Italy called my mother and she's like, "Oh my god! Like I never realized like that was hard for her." And I was like, "Well, thanks for asking, guys." <laughs> but like, yeah, it was. <laughs> One easy. A child, yeah. A child I mean, going between that, like, two cultures. You don't think European and the states would be that big of a difference, but it's it was huge. Culturally. Not not just the United States, but in the middle of the country versus like yeah. a yeah. coast. Yeah. You know, oh, it, yeah. it might. You know, if you were in New York and, and yeah, Italy, I mean, it was I don't like know. weird things. It was like the you know just the the lenience on. The family time, um, the time spent around adults, the comfort in talking about politics and like, you know, talking about religion, all these things that like here were taboo Taboo. subjects and I don't know, like weird, stupid things like girls before they develop in Italy, you just wear a bottom swimsuit, you don't don't wear a top. Mm. Um, Mm -hmm. Like they don't, they just don't sell them. Yeah. So, you know, just weird things that like you put up, you're like pictures of my summer vacation and then you're like mocked for, you know, all of fifth grade because just don't have a top on. But like, so weird little things like that mm-hmm. and then, you know, much bigger things. So That's really funny. I would have never thought about that with the whole swimsuit thing. Yeah, it's a weird thing. It's France too. They don't do the... It, it, well, it's... I mean, the I mean, it comes from the Puritans in the That's United States. Yeah, cover it all up. Yep, yep. <laughs> that, say, there's so yeah. many of... So yeah. much of that still in our ingrained in our society yep. and our laws and... Oh, it's still so Puritanical. Well, it's... And, and Americans in general are, like, so afraid of sex and, and they make it this weird, like, forbidden thing that you're not supposed to do. And, of course, that makes everybody want to do it. Like, it's the same like, thing like drinking, right? Yeah. Yeah. I remember growing up, my mom, like when I turned 18, because 18 was the drinking age when she was growing up, that she just bought me like a bottle of wine and was like, happy birthday. Um, <laughs> if you're going to drink, drink here. And if you have to be somewhere, just let me know. Like, And so I never really overdrank in high school because I was like, oh, I can drink if I want to. Yeah. But yeah. Versus like, it I being drank at forbidden. the dinner table for as long as I can remember. Like you mix with little kids in Italy, you mix wine and water like from the time they can sit at the table. So it was just like a thing. It was never like weird to me. To be like, like if I asked my mom, can I have a gin and tonic? She'd be like, sure. I don't know why, but go ahead. So I just <laughs> never really did that. And like, then you watch like the, you know, insanity of like the high school binge drinking. 
You're like, yeah, I it's just never crazy. had crazy, and it's getting worse too. It's Even in the worse. colleges yeah. too, it's really bad. Well, yeah, and then with the whole culture around like sororities, fraternities, and like the pushing people to drink more and all of that. You heard about like, wine moms? No, no, tell me about wine. There's moms. this like crazy thing now about like these wealthy women, stay at home moms, and like what used to be like the ladies who lunch is now this like thing of this incredible pressure of like women in their 40s with their kids to drink. And like every event has some kind of like alcohol around it, like the PTA margarita party and like the soccer planning tequila club. And like these moms saying, like, I feel super under pressure. And like, if you don't drink, you're excluded and you're not included in, like with the cooler moms. Moms and like, well, it's like this crazy. It's new like high trend. school all, it's over like high school all over again. <laughs> You're like, great, because we needed to experience high school again. And yeah. let's mix alcohol with taking care, of our, taking care of our kids. Because that sounds like a that sounds like plan. a wonderful. Not that a glass of wine isn't bad to indulge in, but like yeah. if it's like we're at a PTA meeting and we're yeah. drinking, how do you remember sloshed. who's yeah. bringing the brownies on Monday? <laughs> I don't know. It's a good question. It's a good question. Guys. So, were you? Did you get involved in acting in Italy? No, okay. no, no, no. Um, they don't do any of that there. It doesn't exist. So like extracurricular activities, like all that kind of stuff, like it's you go to school and you come home, um, which is one of the reasons why like my mom was really insistent that I was here for high school to like have that experience. Um, no, I was mouse number four in Cinderella with the younger generation players in Denver, <laughs> Denver? Colorado. And I had a short, super random, but I had a short Achilles tendon. So I was walking on my tiptoes for like the first six years of my life and I wouldn't put my foot down, um, which made me a really good mouse. That would make you a really good mouse. <laughs> my oh, first cute. role was a little mouse in the Nutcracker. So oh, we have, so a, we have a little bond there with, yeah. <laughs> with, the, with the mouse <laughs> connection. Yeah. With the mouse bond. <laughs> That's awesome. So what brought you f- from Denver to L.A.? Actually, I went to New York first. I went to school in New York, so I went to Vassar. Um, and I spent every summer in the city, uh, and a lot of my friends were older, so they all graduated before me. And so I would go by the time my senior year came around, I was going down to the city every weekend and crashing on their couch. And, um, they'd started a theater company that I was a part of that's still around and doing amazing things, um, called one year lease, uh, that takes students now every year to like Greece and they workshop plays like in the mountains of Greece and then they bring it back and put it up in New York. And so I did their first show with them the summer after I graduated. We went on tour, we went to Italy and Athens and it was amazing. Um, and then I came back and New York sucked. <laughs> like, this is a theme of this month's was, podcast yes, <laughs> is like New York, it can really suck. It was really hard. And yeah. I, c- I could not break through and I didn't know anybody. And it was the kind of thing of like, oh, well, I'll just get my like CSI New York and I'll be good. Or not CSI New York. What was it? Law and Order, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just, I couldn't even get in the door. And there was this girl from college. I'm not going to name names. <laughs> but she got an episode of Ed like straight out of college. And I was like, what am I doing wrong? Like, I hate this place. Um, it was that I came home for Christmas and my mom said it was the first time that I left to go back and get on a plane and go somewhere and that I looked back at her and she's like, oh, it broke my heart. Like you were so sad. And then I booked a national commercial miraculously and I was like, well, I guess I'm going where they film things. Because <laughs> apparently that works better for me. <laughs> so I moved to LA. You moved to LA. Yeah. And then how did you transition into becoming a writer? Um, um, that was, that was a totally, oh God, my story sounds so depressing. 
Um, no, they don't. It's real. I think it's like ridiculous when people are like, oh, well, I tried this and it was great. And then this and it, you know, it just fell in my lap. It did. Everything was so wonderful. And I'm like, that is not realistic to being an actor or a creator. Like you have to work a really long, you have to work really hard for a really long time most of the time before things come to fruition. And that's the reality of it. It's like what? 10 to 13 years is what they say, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I always tell like whenever I see newbies and they're like, it's not happening. It's not happening. I'm like, dude, settle in. Yeah. Get comfy. Set your calendar for like 10 years from now. (laughs) And then let's like talk about where you are because it just takes that long, you know? Um, No, I was on... I was on Mad Men for um, four seasons, which was amazing. And the day, like the second to last day or like the day after um, my arc ended on that show, um, my husband had been in Sunday Company at the Groundlings. And they kind of put out the announcement of who's going on into main company. And he didn't make the cut for main company. And so it was like within like 48 hours of each other. So we were really, really depressed. I think it's... Like, it's this weird thing of when you have the opportunity, like, it's such a fluid business that when you have the opportunity to have, like, a home and a community that, like, and then it's taken away from you, it's just super, super traumatizing. Yeah. Um, So, you know, I was going out for secretaries, and I couldn't go out for period stuff because I'd been on a period show, even though I looked period, but I couldn't be on a period show. And then I was like, you do know that my resume as a secretary on a show doesn't actually mean... That all I can do, do is, is be a secretary. secretary. Like, I can do that. Uh, use our imaginations a little <laughs> yeah, bit. Exactly. Um, it was really frustrating. And so then um, he started writing a pilot. We'd had an idea, or I gave him an idea, and he started writing it. And I, he would show me scenes, and I would be like, well, Matt Weiner would never write it that way. Like, this is a terrible scene. Like, Matt would write it better than this. He's like, oh, my God, if you have an opinion, just do it. (laughs) So then that's how it started. Well, you'd been reading his scripts. Yeah, I mean, it was the best crash course in the best writing in television, right? That's what I think I've learned more about writing by being an actor and having to dissect scripts for so many years. Like, that, you you just learn. And... And then you're also like, I wouldn't want to say that if I was like, <laughs> right. yeah. that scene but out. that is, it's such a crazy thing. I've heard so many actors say that like, what took them to writing was they were just tired of reading like, and having to read really shitty stuff. <laughs> yeah. And I think that like, it's kind of where the whole idea for the, the class and stuff that I do came from, which is I think actors just are naturally good storytellers. Like you just are, you're used to taking bad material and figuring out how to make it better you know how to give something an arc. Like you understand a beginning, middle, and end. You understand building interesting characters because a lot of times you're doing that because they're not on the page and you have to do it on your own. Uh, So it just like doesn't feel like that big of a switch. And I think you're just seeing more and more actors transition and be really, really successful in that because I think it's just natural, you know, that we know how to do that. Yeah, and then being able to just put yourself in someone else, like many different people's shoes, it makes it easier to write characters, I think, Yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally. So talk about your class. Like, I would love to hear more about it and and how you got started in that and just, like, what it is that your aim is for the class. Well, the, the reality is, is that it was a way for me to help other actors save on therapy. (laughs) That's that's the truth, guys. Um, No, I, I, when I was, one of the hardest things in trying to make sort of this transition of saying I want to be both an actor and a writer is that I think that when you're like 
you know when you're six and they're like if there's anything else you'd rather do you should than do be an actor you should yeah. do it and like you hear that message like your entire life so I think that as soon as you start saying like oh I want to do this other thing you're immediately in your own brain disqualifying yourself from being an actor right because if I'm not giving 100% of my life and my time to this thing then I've failed or I've and so I went through this like huge period of like not wanting to put my name on stuff and having to deal with like what it means to give up and am I giving up and which of course none of that was true but it was a lot of therapy and a lot of anger uh and so (laughs) I was just trying to circumvent that and say like hey there's a way to do both and there's a way to bring your gifts to the table and it's 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 a skill set right like the instinct is there as actors and then it's just like modifying the skill set and so the whole class is geared like specifically for actors and like how do we take everything that you know how to do and then just shift it and acquire some new skills that mm-hmm. help you then execute material, mm-hmm. right? Um, so yeah, I've been doing it. Um, I started at a acting studio and now I've gone out on my own. I've been on my own for like a year and a half. Um, and it's cool and it like feeds into ongoing labs. And um, you know, I think of my like kind of original students, they've all gone off and like made shorts and taken development meetings and starting to get repped and hit the circuit. And like, it's really, it's really awesome to watch them blossom and be a part of that. And what's what's the name of the class? Just so that all oh, the yes, listeners yes, so know. Details. Yeah, no, <laughs> I just I just want. Them. I don't know. We'll yeah. have it. We'll have the link. To uh, you will, it's but. called the Bad Pitch Writers Lab, and that comes from um, it's a it's a writers room thing that you're never allowed to say no to an idea. You always have to have a solution, and so the lingo in our class was always like, well, okay, so bad pitch. What if he? Right. And it's just really about collaboration and helping each other. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's where the name came that's from. Great. That's awesome. We've come across a lot of um, actors who turned writers or producers and they're still like maintaining both of that dichotomy of like feeling like they're giving up their like main yeah. dream. Um, but I also think like the times have changed, especially in the last decade of it being more acceptable of like writer, actor or producer, actor, and it's happening on all levels now, not just the indie level. Yeah, no, I think it's totally true, but I think it's really recent, honestly. I think like five or six years ago, if you went to your rep and said like, hey, I'm doing this and this, they'd be like, so wait, you're not acting anymore? I'm confused. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's completely, like, I think it started to shift and now I think it's making it, but it's because you have people like Taylor Sheridan, like a lot of people that have become incredibly successful as writers Mm -hmm. that had like big careers as actors. And so I think that, you know, Danny Strong, like I think a lot of that is really influencing the switch. Absolutely. So all of you that that are listening, all you actors, like if you're in LA and you want, and you're like wanting to get into creating your own work, this is a great resource for you guys. So we'll make sure to add the link so that they have the opportunity to sign up for it. Um, and you are very busy as well because you're also the president of the collaborative, which is a co-op yes, for actors. True. How do you keep, first of all, how do you keep it all straight? And then we'll get into more of what the collaborative is. I don't. <laughs> I, Thank you. Thank I you don't, for your honesty. No, I feel I know, every day. <laughs> um, no, my, my mom teases me all the time because she's like, why do you keep opening businesses that are designed to make other people feel like happy and they have a community and you're not getting paid (laughs) this is is her big concern yep yep I'm like yeah I I should work on that um I don't I don't know I think that I've always been um 
I've always been a kind of person that was very diversified in the things that I was interested in, um, which I think was like when I was talking about like therapy and all of that and trying to accept that I could be more. I always was more than an actor. I just kind of had to make peace with that. Um, so I've always been like running this program and starting this and doing that. And I was always that kid in high school and college doing that stuff, too. So it just feels like my natural mode of being to have like 10 balls in the air. Um <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I guess that's the answer. Yeah, that's that. great. I'm yeah, glad so you said that. I know, that's I do how too. I feel every day. <laughs> like, I don't know how I'm doing the, any of this right now, but. Yeah. And I think that, you know, out. things have to slip by the wayside a little bit sometimes. And then you have to kind of pick it back up and push again and say, like, oh, shoot, I dropped that for a second and I stopped paying attention to it. And now I'm going to turn my focus there, which means this drops a little bit. And like, it's just a constant. Yeah. Push and pull, you know, I don't think I think that's true for everybody. Oh, 100%. Well, I mean, it's you're a human being, you can't do everything at once as much as we try to convince ourselves as hey, I'm women. An excellent multitasker. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm such a good multitasker. Um, yeah, uh, it's, uh, it's super important, I think, just to be honest with yourself about it, too. And just to say, like, okay, it's okay, that I'm not able to do this, these 50 things today that are on my yeah. to-do list, I'm going to do 10 of them and do them well. And then I'll get to the rest of them, you know, when I can. Eventually. <laughs> and the rest of the time I'll watch the Food Network and that is okay. Yeah. Right. That is right. okay that that was my day today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you have to, you have to regroup and yeah. like give yourself time because if you don't, then you'll lose your mind. Yeah. Which I think is, that's true. And yeah. I think you also have to um, – there was a uh, – there's a casting director who um, gave me my first couple of opportunities and has gone on to become a really good friend of mine. And he used to always say that if all you're ever doing is acting, then the only role you can ever play is an actor. And you owe it to yourself to live a full life. And I think a lot of times people get burned out here because you all, and you recognize those people, right? Cause you're like, how are you doing? And they're like, well, I had three auditions. And I was like, no, I, I actually just asked, how are you? <laughs> like, you know, and you Your see life. them, and I think they get yeah. burned out. Cause it's like, you gotta, you gotta have things that are fulfilling you and making you happy. And you know, if, if this thing takes 10, 13 years, which is the average, like, my God, if that's all you're thinking about and doing every day, like you'll go crazy. You know, so yes, really so true. You need those things to fill you up, family, friends. Or yeah, travel, hobbies, hobbies yeah, all that travel. stuff, right? It just makes everything that you bring to the table richer. It makes you a whole human, and yeah. then you're able to be a good actor. Yeah. 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 It so, also helps with storytelling and being a writer and totally. having stories to tell because yeah. you're not just right. <laughs> you're not just writing a show. Like, there are so many shows I about— I the Silver Lake Problem shows. Yes. <laughs> like, the 20-year-olds living in Silver Lake. I movie? might steal Indeed. that because I'm like, why are there so many shows? Oh, because— you know, it right. makes sense, but it's like, let's expand. What what else is out there? There's so many other lives besides stand-up comedians or going to auditions, yeah. you know? Yeah, it's really yeah. true. Well, yeah. I think it's part of the reason why there's such a divisive nature in our country, too, is because, like, people aren't seeing stories about as many stories about people that they know that don't live in these big coastal cities, and they don't connect to it, and so they think we're completely disconnected there's, to them. There's kind of a swing now with, like, Ozarks and mm -hmm. um, Sharp Objects, and, like, I feel like there's, like, stuff trickling in. Oh, yeah, so it's, it's not definitely so, there, and yeah. it's getting better. But yeah. that's why it's so important to have different perspectives and to live life instead of just going yeah, to auditions. Yeah, and I think that we're really, you have to actively, as a storyteller, work really hard to break out of the confines of your culture and your world. You know, and one of the things that it's because it's just natural that you just look around you and say, OK, well, what are the stories that I have 
these immediate ones, right? Um, and so I always, I always try to gear people towards saying, okay, so can you take away all the specifics of your story? And then what you're left with is just an emotional journey, right? And that's the thing that you know and that you've experienced. And then theoretically, you can apply that everywhere. You know, I always joke in class that I don't, you know, relate to memoirs of a geisha because of my many years spent as a geisha. I relate to the movie because there's some emotional journey there that is connected to other experiences that I've had in my life, right? Whether it's discovering sexuality, whether it's finding your confidence as a woman, right? That's why we go to the movies over and over again, even in worlds that are totally different to us, you know? Mm -hmm. Because you can follow along the emotional journey. Yeah. And so you have to like teach yourself as a storyteller to like kind of break away from Silver Lake problems (laughs) and kind of figure (laughs) out like, okay, how can I tell this story (laughs) in like a different lens, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So tell us about the collaborative. So the collaborative started um, about three years ago. And um, again, it's like, it's totally my mom. She's like, just looking for community. That's awesome. I'm an only child. So I think that that might be why. Um, but it's, it's, this, um, it's a nonprofit. Um, it's in a nonprofit educational institution um, that it's um, 100 actors that are by audition only. And it basically says, how can you take control of your career, both um, artistically as an actor, and then also provide the tools to kind of expand upon that. I always liken it to like continuing education. You know, that how dancers like go to class every day, and that's what they do. And musicians mm-hmm. like show up and practice every day. And you could go to class here and, you know, go to your place once a week and check in and do your Meisner and whatever. But there isn't really that sense of like the community of like being an ABT dancer and getting to go every day and be a part of like continuing education and continuing to further your skill. And so the thought was like, well, let's build that for actors. So that's the gist of it. I mean, there's there's a bunch of classes every month. Um, a lot of those classes are geared towards content creation and production and also just kind of strengthening your skill set as an actor. So whether that's, you know, voiceover or Alexander technique or audition technique. Um, we have production insurance for our members. So in the past year, we made like 10 shorts through our insurance, um, which has been super awesome. Actually, more than that now. Uh, and it just kind of continues to grow because I'm always looking for like, okay, well, where can we go? Where can we go? So it's um, it's still a baby and it's still new and it's still run by actors. So it moves at the pace of molasses, <laughs> which, you know, for type A personalities <laughs> drives me crazy. I don't know uh, anything about that. <laughs> But, you know, <laughs> 10 years, just like an actor's career, it'll get there. Right. <laughs> um, it's really well. cool. I don't I don't think there's anything like it. Um, and I kind of like to do things that nobody else is doing. Mm-hmm. It, I, it, I like it because it brings power and control back to the actors a little bit, whereas other places you're, like, going and giving people your money to work on your skills. And this is, like, a community that is helping each other and kind of guiding their own path to, you know, how everybody wants to further their career. Yeah, so. I think it's, it's it's you know, there's just this like weird intangible element to it. Like you can use our space to self-tape whenever you want. And so there's just this sense of like, I mean, it's a real community that you can post at nine in the morning and say like, hey, I have a self-tape, who can be there? And, and you get like five answers of like, oh, I can't be there, but text me or I'll be there at 930 or what do you need? Or I'll mm-hmm. bring you coffee. And like, it's, um, I just, I've never found anything like that in all my years. Um, so it's cool to like have been a part of building that and watch it kind of take off. Well, yeah, as as actors, it's so nice to have some sort of support from someone who understands and it's not 
a competition. It's like you're actually being there to because you understand what the other's going through and you're able to support them through those things as opposed to like this narrative, I think that television wants you to think of like they all hate each other and it's like they don't want to be friends because they're competing <laughs> for the same things and it's like that's a load of baloney yeah, like that's not true that's not what it's about yeah and I think you also like you build a community where you know each other well enough that you push each other to be better actually and I think that I mean that goes back to like the dancers and the musicians right that like it's not just about saying you know I graduate with my MFA or I graduate and I'm, I'm now just in this like stasis of like this is who I am and I just go out and audition and it's you do you have to not only like keep that skill on point and tight but you also want to ideally be getting better mm -hmm. you know and so to have a community where you feel safe to like experiment and push yourself and try harder and try new things is I think um, lacking kind of so it's really cool to like let it come to life here. That's awesome. Like going to the gym. Yeah. <laughs> it totally is. It's like but going, going to, to the gym. gym with like 100 of your best yeah. friends. Yeah. They're like, hey, do yeah. 10 more sit-ups. Come yeah. on. Right? <laughs> you're like, oh, shut up. I hate you. Okay, I'll do one. I do want to circle back to um, working with your husband, like working with yes. your partner and how like the dynamic of that. And we, we've interviewed a couple of like husband, wife or partner duos and any lessons or advice of working with someone you're so close to? Yeah, we have a lot of really strict rules. <laughs> um, <laughs> good. And, and they're rules that have developed. Yeah. Um, but, they've, but they're like hard-line rules. Um, and I think they're kind of good for any people that work together as partners. He's, I, I, it's, a, it's a very common partnership. Um, I think kind of really the only one that I've heard of that is the most common and that works the most is that somebody's sort of bigger picture and somebody's a little bit more micro, right? And then that's sort of the balance. Um, my page is always zoomed like out to like 75%. So you can like, I'm going to lose my eyesight. And his is like at 250 where like the only thing it's like, it's one word that he looks at as he like mm -hmm. scrolls through, mm -hmm. right? Just mm -hmm. to kind of put in perspective, like how we approach the script. Yeah. Um, but we have like a couple of really strict rules. Like we, uh, whenever somebody's working on something, they and the other person comes in to read, they have to read it as a PDF, and they have to read it through three times before they're allowed to make any changes. Um, the PDF is because our instinct is to just to like just start, start changing. changing, yeah. And yeah. then the yeah. three reads that one developed because it's like if you think about how long it takes you to write ten pages, and then you think about how long it takes somebody to read ten pages, it's not really pain. It, and you're probably going to have the same notes and make the same changes that you would have made on the first read anyway. But it's about sort of respecting the time that was put in before you kind of come back to the table and then collaborate. Um, we spend a lot of time on the front end of the process talking. Like we'll just talk a lot and not allow ourselves to get to plot, um, not even allow ourselves to get to story. Um, where we'll just talk about why this movie, what are we trying to say, who are these people, and until we're both really, really solidly on the same page with that. Um, and then we make sure that our story cards are aligned and that we both know what we're doing. And then we kind of take off and one like person goes Like an outline goes type Yeah, thing. like yeah. just basic story yeah. cards that are yeah. not plot, but like very therefore, like this happens, therefore this, therefore that. Um the the rule the South Park rules, and uh, <laughs> I, use, I use those a lot. Yeah, they're great. I use them a lot. Yeah, and then we and then we kind of go forward. One person leads, and the other person <laughs> follows, and we kind of continue that process until you can't recognize who wrote what. Um, is kind of like our goal for feeling like we've reached a a good draft. Um, and it's you know it's been like a learning process, and you know um, we are, I think one of the benefits of it is that 
and I don't know, maybe this is a bad thing, but we don't have any barriers on when we're talking about stuff. So, you know, you get an idea at two in the morning and it's like totally fair to be like, hey, hey, wake up. <laughs> hey, what do you think about this? <laughs> uh, which, you know, I guess you can't do with like a regular writing partner um, without really irritating them. Yeah. Um, so no, but it's it's been a, I find it really, really beneficial um, to have somebody um, I think that, and I think they're becoming more, I think there's a difference between a writing partner and a writing buddy. It's a mm. term I've invented lately. Uh, but you know, buddy is somebody that you like bounce ideas off of and you hang out with, but you're not like forming an actual like partnership out into the industry, you know? Um, because I think they can be different. You can have I think so, yeah. both and multiple forms yeah. of those, but. Well, and sometimes, I mean, you see it on all levels too of like partnerships divorcing too after yeah. 10 years you know just like trying to do their own thing yeah. I always I think, think that's interesting to tell too. their own story yeah. And, yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 for sure no I love all of the rules I think I that's really cool <laughs> because so my husband's a sound engineer and musician and so we've worked together some in certain things like where he's done post for projects or um it's on set and I think it's really great to have those like we have like certain I guess unwritten rules <laughs> but I kind of <laughs> like the fact of having actual rules because then you make sure because I mean it's the person that it or it's the people that you love the most in the world that you tend to like take advantage of unintentionally or kind of push the barriers sometimes yeah. because you know that they're going to love you anyways at least you, you hope so <laughs> um, and so I think that's really awesome uh, to have actual written rules so that you're at, you're following them and respecting the other person in the way that you would if you were working with someone else yeah and I mean I think that's true with like any collaboration with friends right like producing a film like saying hey let's go do this project together like it's our instinct is to be like oh I trust you and I and not that 90% of the time it's not fine but it's also a business right and so you have to have the ability to say like hey cool I know you trust me I know I trust you but in the meantime let's just write it down <laughs> right like just to have it written down because I think it does establish like a level of respect for the other person right to say like I'm willing true. to do this and not do this and well and it can be so personal right it, like it's such a vulnerable thing to write something or put it out there and so for to just automatically not have it in a pdf and like oh no this isn't right or this isn't right like that can be like yeah. so soul crushing yeah oh no and we always have the rule of like you have to say good things first first yeah and they can't be fake good things yes they have to be like, real like you know what you can tell when it's like i really liked this but i'm just trying to get to my bad note <laughs> right? like they have to be uh -huh. like genuine here's what worked uh -huh. um the other thing that we do is that the fixes are always like just all compiled together like it's not this was wrong it's like hey so in this section i'm gonna do this instead are you cool with that like in this part i'm gonna do this are you cool with that and then it becomes much easier to be like oh yeah yeah sure sure instead of getting defensive with like this didn't work yeah and it's like why didn't it work? Yeah. Yes, it works. Like, I think you misread it. Like, you only read it two times. <laughs> you know? I also I also always try to use, like, this wasn't clear. Like, yeah. what are you trying to do here? Because I'm, like, this this section isn't clear right now. Or, you know, like, I like this, but this stuff right here is, is not, I'm not taking it in, yeah. you know? One of the things which, that I always teach my students in taking notes, which we should do a better job at with each other, but it's it's this idea that you're getting a note because somebody doesn't feel something. That's the only reason. And then they're going to jump to a conclusion and say, like, maybe if you did this or maybe if you did that. But ultimately, you have to kind of step back and figure out what weren't you feeling. 
and why mm. weren't you feeling it? And that's mm. the thing that I need to fix. Like mm-hmm. if like you should have cried here and you didn't cry. So where did I go wrong? Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that it becomes much easier to process notes and kind of look at them as what can I fix yeah. instead of getting sort of defensive. And I was just you know. reading something now I'm forgetting where it was, but that there are no bad notes. Like when you get a note and you think it's bad, take it's exactly that same thing. Like take a step back and be like, they weren't getting what you were trying to do. So, yeah. so, so figure so it out. It. Yeah. yeah, figure <laughs> figure out it. how to make it better. Yeah. yeah. What are you guys working on right now? Can Ooh, you, yeah, anything us. you can talk about? Um, anything that we can talk about. Um, uh, is there, is there, I don't think I can. Oh. Um, Secret projects. I don't think <laughs> I can, actually. Yeah. That's all right. You know what that means is that when they when you can talk about them, you have to let us know and then we'll promote them oh, on our absolutely. social media. Absolutely. So we for love sure. to do that for guests. That makes us very excited. Um, one of the questions that I had for you, since we can't talk about that, then I, <laughs> I want to make sure. Um, so not only have you done stuff, um, written things that have come from your your brain, you've also um, adapted text. Mm-hmm. How much different is the process in for you of adapting text versus um, having original? Adapting is really, especially from a book, it's very hard, and the biggest reason is because of the is because the majority of fiction is is living and alive in somebody's brain, right? It's in first person and it's their thoughts. And those are very hard things to communicate on screen. In fact, you just can't, right? So you have to extract story and to a certain extent add story sometimes um, to, you can have an incredibly rich novel, but if the novel is filled with what that person is thinking all the time, it's never going to translate. So you have to kind of extract from it what is the heart of this story and then how and what's my take on it. And I think a lot of people um, skip that step in in working on adaptations or trying to figure out a pitch on an adaptation uh, is that, you know, ultimately the story is the story. So what's interesting is what's my take and what am I going to highlight and what is it about for me, which is going to be its own entity and its own thing that's going to be different than the original anyway, right? Because otherwise you're just transcribing the dialogue and what's the point of that? Um, So you have to kind of figure out like what's the heart of it, right? So in that sense, I don't think it's any different than adapting historical events or adapting, you know, sort of from a biography or a biopic and trying to find the through line of that. You know, we all know those biopics that start with like, she was born in, right? (laughs) And the reason they're not interesting is they feel like documentaries, right? And the ones that work, it's because they have a point of view. Um, And you have to kind of do the same thing with a novel, which is harder because there's just so much content that you have to kind of step away from. But ultimately, you have to figure out what's my point of view on the story, you know. Do you have any uh, favorites personally? Because so many times people will see a movie of a book and they're like, oh, the book's better. Like, are there any movies that you're like, that you know of? I'm just asking. No, Either one of great, you. No, Either one of you. Great question. I I really liked the Gone Girl adaptation. Like I yeah, I thought I the just, Gone Girl. I thought was they great. did a good job of because sometimes I think there is that big disappointment. You see the movie, and if you are an avid reader, you're like, oh, but the book. I was imagining this and this. Yeah. And this, but. Yeah, I think I that, well, you know, I think one of the best examples is actually if you look at like the evolution of the Harry Potter movies. That's what I was. I think say. that you can see like by the time they hit like four that they start to have their own language and storytelling and, you know, it started to exist almost separately from the books. They had their own voice through it and point of view on it, I think you could say, whereas one and two felt very like 
this is the book on this screen. This is the book, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, I wasn't thinking, I had book adaptations are trickier, but off the, but I was on, I was in biopic land. And um, one of the first ones that I always think of is Le'Veon Rose as just a very creative approach to telling a biography that doesn't feel like, that had a point of view. You know? Such yeah. a big response, like biopics especially, like such a big responsibility of taking on that, person's that real person's life versus like fiction where you can kind of be like you know there's just I don't know yeah it is and it isn't but you have to kind of pull out what the essence of the story is and I I mean I don't know if you guys followed like all the stuff when Argo was nominated but the young writer would would have a lot of like conversations with Ben Affleck who wanted to change the end of the movie to make it actually feel climactic right because the way it actually all wrapped up wasn't like that and he was a stickler for the historical accuracy of it and uh and ben kept saying like but it's a movie and you have to actually still make it entertaining and so the job is to say like well how do i pull the essence of it you know um we're working on a on a similar kind of biopic um story right now and one of the things that we've been working on changing is she sort of at some point had made a decision that we don't have any access to knowing when it happened to live her life very differently. And in early drafts, you just kind of met her having already made that decision. And it presumably happened when she was a kid. But in sort of our newer versions now, it's like, well, it's much more entertaining to get to see watch it. that and see it on screen. So even if it's inaccurate because we've bumped it up 20 years, she still at some point made that choice. So it's still true to who she is, right? Mm-hmm. The the essence of the character is still there. The heart of her journey is still there. We're just making it more entertaining. And you care about the character more when you're able to see that change, yeah, that always. shift, that transition, because then you see them as a character that grows versus exactly. a stagnant character that just like, do, 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 yeah. do. That's yeah. sometimes hard when people are writing their own stories too. <laughs> yeah. Because they're like, well, that's not how it happened. And it's like, well, I like what Ben Affleck said. It's a movie. Like, yeah. like yeah. yeah, I'm not filming your life. Yeah. Because that would, that would be, be boring. Dull, right? <laughs> yeah. There's also like this weird thing that happens when people write for themselves. And I'm super guilty of this and had to train myself out of this. But we write ourselves really boring. And you read those scripts and they're always filled with like this super awesome, quirky cast of characters all around that main character. And the main character is like flat as a pancake. I was just talking about this. <laughs> and it's like, I yeah. couldn't figure out like why that was happening. And then I, this is my theory. My theory is that like, you're so, you see yourself. Well, first of all, you see the good things about yourself, right? Like, so if I was going to describe myself, it'd be like, oh yeah, I'm really smart and cute and funny. And like, but I'm never going to say the like terrible things about me. <laughs> right? No, yeah. But ultimately the terrible things are what make interesting, complex yes. characters. So we ignore that. Yeah. And then we also see ourselves as so complete that we try to show all aspects of that on the page and it falls flat. You know, it's kind of like, I don't know if you're a history person, but it's like horizontal and vertical integration, mm-hmm. right? No, I It's love like if you're, if you're building a character horizontally and saying like, look at all these things that I am instead of focusing on this one thing and mm-hmm. diving deep. Mm-hmm. And then that's what always makes them more interesting. That's what makes them pop yeah. on the page. It happens a lot. Yeah. That happens a lot. Yeah. And it's, it's, Exactly, because you see, you want to present yourself a certain way to the yeah, world. Exactly, and it's like put put some flaws in there, and we'll love this. Yeah, yeah. we'll love well, this. Well, that's guy what we do, gal. right? We yeah. love the flaws. Yeah. Well, and there's been a big surge, I think, of content like that in the past, like. I mean, Mad Men was one of the first things yeah. that I remember, like, Don Draper's character, like, he was 
super flawed and people loved him because like did, they didn't always love what he did, but they were captivated by him because he was an interesting person because he didn't just do what you thought he should do all the yeah. time. And uh, I think it started to also become more acceptable for, for you to have a super damaged character that like does really shitty things and, uh, and watch that growth of whether or not that changes or whether it gets worse or stays the same or gets better. Um, so I think people are starting to hopefully be better at doing yeah, it. Yeah, th- it's a weird balance though because like I, I totally agree about, about the Mad Men stuff, but I think that those characters where a lot of sort of the anti-hero movement went is that they were just that. Like they were just flawed. And I think that the the reason we actually relate is because of their vulnerability in that, not because of the flaw itself. Mm. And I think that gets lost, right? That there's a vulnerability, that there's a that there's still like a want, that there's, you know, that stuff is what attracts us. Um which is different than like being just flawed, right? Like I don't know if that makes sense. No, it makes total sense. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> it's inspiring I know it now is now I want to go write <laughs> it's like okay we have to stop right now so that Elise can start writing yeah I know um, how do you approach we've talked about this on past episodes of so many of the movies and books we grew up on were from the male gaze because they were written by males and they were male directors. And sometimes even as women, we can write women as a man would write a woman because that's how we've seen it on TV or a movie. Have you thought about that at all in writing female characters or? Uh, So two confessions. One is that of the two of us, the one who's way better at writing women um, is my husband. (laughs) (laughs) Not, well, good for him. Not, not me at all, guys. Uh, <laughs> no, and I. It's funny that you say book. Like I, it's it's led to one of the scripts that we're working on now. But I, I grew up on books that were written by women. Mm-hmm. That I mean, those the books that defined my childhood were you know Little Princess and Secret Garden and Little Women and um, you know Witch of Blackbird Pond and like these were all female you know. My Antonio, they're all female authors telling female stories. Um, I didn't read like the Nancy, like I just, I wasn't that kid. I was like the kid reading like the weird old classics, classics. and the hardcovers. Um, but those stories were about like at the heart of it, they're about women and little girls and Anne of Green Gable. Like you take all of those, right? Mm-hmm. They're all little girls that are finding their way in the world without the help of a man, honestly. And so it's, I look at those as sort of much more of my education and independence of saying like, oh no, this is who I'm going to go on and be. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't, I don't know if I really, really look back at like movies or television as having had that effect on me because I think I was a crazy bookworm that just reread all of those over and over again. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, all the Jane Austens, all those I got older and, and those are all, you know, badass women. Yeah. Little Women was one of my favorite. I read it like five times. Pride and Prejudice I've read like so many times. Yeah. Yeah. Because I love, you love those like strong female characters and worlds where they weren't supported or were looked upon as being really strange for being strong independent women. Subconscious too, like as I'm pregnant and thinking about raising a kid, like the subconscious of gravitating towards women who weren't just finding a man versus like 
the Cinderella's and the Little Mermaids and stuff yeah, like that, you know, like not really being able to consciously comprehend why you were drawn to that stuff. But yeah, I mean, it's like because it's not like I didn't watch Beauty and the Beast yeah. and think it was yeah. like the best I mean, thing ever. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, but I but if I think back on my childhood, I think back on those books. Like I reread Secret Garden every year for, you know. 10 years at Christmas like that was the thing that I did mm-hmm. and there was that movie version where they made her marry Colin at the end and I was like what are you doing right? she doesn't need a man I know she's fine guys I know. Um, and there was another one where she married Dickon I was like she doesn't need to marry anybody just let her be merry well there's those movie versions <laughs> that yeah. ruin the book yeah, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. circle back exactly. circle yeah. back to that right yeah. there tie that up in a bow there close that up for us do you have any like passion projects if you were just handed like all the money to make whatever you want is there any passion project that you would just hope to make oh so many mm-hmm. I mean we have um, you know there's I we have a lot of scripts. We've um, we've been actively writing for the past seven years, and I had somebody in my lab um, just wanted to add it up because I always tell them like it's just about content, like it's a skill, and you get better, and you just have to write more and keep writing, keep writing, keep writing. You can't get fixated on your one script and let that take you two years. Like you have to keep writing. And so they were like, well, how many have you written? And uh, <laughs> <laughs> very so, good impression. Like, yeah. student. So we added it up, and it was uh, thirty five in the past seven years. So some of them are locked down. Some of them have are still out floating in the ether. Some of them I'm holding in my back pocket and saying like, oh, please let something come through. And then the ones that have been sitting in your back pocket for like five years and you're like, oh, screw it. Like, let's see if we can just sell it. Um, so, you know, I mean, I don't know. I have a million of them mm-hmm. that I would, you know, run and Do you like writing happen. for film or TV more? Um, you know, I, I love TV. We can't, crack TV as well. I mean, we've staffed, um, which has been, was a really great experience and Mm -hmm. we learned a lot staffing. Um, but our stories tend to work better, um, in the film world. And frankly, I like being in my pajamas a lot more than I like going to an office. (laughs) So it's good to know about yourself. That's really good to know about yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. Also, (laughs) I'm like, I would rather just sit on my couch or at my table and just write as opposed to like going somewhere. I didn't somewhere. come like this far in my career to have like a nine to five. <laughs> right? Like, come I've on, been guys. avoiding like, it I've for avoiding so it for many years, years. Like, right? Let's, like, yeah, let's exactly. not stop now. <laughs> let's not start now. No. Mm-mm. Well, awesome. Well, where can people find you online? Um, well, so you can, there's my website for um, the Writer's Lab. And I have an Instagram that I try to keep up, which I'm supposed to know to tell you what. It, oh, my God. That's okay. We'll put the know. links below. We'll put but all no the links. If we always off. like to, if we can, re, like, reinforce by having verbal as and well visual. as written. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. We yeah try I don't to, but, remember any of right, that. All right. So Instagram. <laughs> yeah. The internet, it. internet, ether. ether. And we'll general. have links for you. Okay, <laughs> Google. Yes. I don't yeah. know. Google links. Thanks. Google is great. Google is great. <laughs> have you seen the the YouTube video of the of the Italian grandmother trying to get the Google Home to work? No. Oh my God, is um, it great? Hello, Google. Google. Google, go. <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing. Oh my gosh, that reminds me of the grandma and grandpa. Did you guys ever see they were trying to like video chat with their grandkids and they didn't realize they were videoing themselves and <laughs> it's hilarious and the old man is like like 
I think he like grabs his wife's boob or something like making like jokes oh, and so they're like funny. all they're like no on the idea. internet and they have no idea <laughs> it's really endearing and sweet and I'm like can you imagine like they it's didn't even so have overwhelming. Yeah. computers you yeah. know they were lucky to have a tv and now we all like carry around little computers, computers in, in our hands. homes yeah. my mom's discovered gifts oh <laughs> Fun. <laughs> She's sending you a lot. Yeah, and she like fights with my dad because my dad's discovered emojis. <gasps> And she's decided she doesn't like emojis and he can't stand gifts. So he'll like emoji her and she'll like gif him back. And I'm like, what is happening? <laughs> it's a technology war. Yeah. I know. I always like it when the older generation calls it the Google. The Google. The Google. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay. Or the yeah. World Wide Web. Mm-hmm. The World Wide Web. Mm-hmm. That's a good one too. Oh, yeah. Awesome. <laughs> Bless their hearts. No. Well, thank you so much you for spending time thank with you. us this afternoon. Yeah. Thank you for sharing all your information, and yeah. we'll have all the links, like we said, and mm-hmm. check out her class. And yeah. Yeah. Awesome, guys. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye.